Hello, and welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwick from Painless Networking here. Stop on by painless.network online for any painless info. Whatever you're listening, your desk, you're out for a run, you're on the train, uh, maybe I'm helping put you to sleep. Uh, these things are all about getting connected with good human beings in sports and event marketing. And we go way beyond sound bites, but smart, interesting, generous people sharing their insights. It's good to be back again, folks, after taking last week off to celebrate National Fireworks Explosions in Your Alley Week. And uh, today's guest is Gordon Kane with Ascendant Sports Group. Real quick before I tell you about Gordon, let me acknowledge two things. One, this week's sponsor needs a big thanks, Uncorked Bottles and Barrels. It's coming tomorrow. Well, it's if you're listening today's uh, release date, that's Thursday, July 13th is this event at Westfield Old Orchard in Skokie, Illinois from 5 to 8 p.m. Get choice tastings from whiskeys from Chicago Distilling and Cobalt Distillery, as well as some great wines from PRP Wines and Chloe Wine Group, paired with generous food samples from Roca Core, Shake Shack, Nando's, Blaze Pizza, Maggiano's, McCormick & Schmicks, Noodles & Company, Epic Burger, Cinnabon, and uh, meet the food, uh, the nude food dudes. And uh, how about Chef Rick Bayless? He's going to be on hand as well. Get your tickets online. Hurry today. The event is tomorrow, Thursday, July 13th. Tickets at Westfield Old Orchard Uncorked.eventbrite.com. Of course, you must be 21 to attend. And a second, even quicker note submit any internships for inclusion in next week's Painless Blast to posts at painless.network. The July 19th Painless Blast is going to focus on internship opportunities for the coming fall and winter in sports, events, digital, social, advertising, experiential marketing. Get your openings in front of thousands of marketers and those looking to break in. All right, Gordon Kane. Gordon, great dude, only person in the U.S. has held senior management positions in marketing and sponsorship for USOC, a U.S. Olympic host city, a U.S. Olympic bid city, and currently consults for two major U.S. sponsors. Uh, it's Deloitte and USG that he'll talk about. You can connect with Gordon online. Uh, the best way is LinkedIn or Facebook. He doesn't do the Twitter. I've tried, but uh, not working. <laughs> Ascendant's website is uh, ascendantsports.com. They are active on Twitter, their handle at Ascendant Sports. All right, let's dive in. Recorded July 11th, his office in Chicago's beautiful Gold Coast. Let's get connected with Gordon Kane. A big welcome to today's Painless Podcast guest is Gordon Kane. Gordon, I love this line. Gordon is the only person in the U.S. who has held senior management positions in marketing and sponsorship for the U.S. Olympic Committee, a U.S. host city, a U.S. bid city, and is uh, currently consulting for two major U.S. OC sponsors. So we've got lots of juicy stuff to talk about. And uh, Gordon's going to break down a little bit of how he got into this in the first place and what he's up to these days. So welcome to the Painless Podcast, Gordon. I can't even say the name of my own podcast. I love that line too, by the way. (laughs) I imagine you had something to do with writing it. Um, Before we roll back the clock, it's nice to go kind of chronologically, but I think to tell people... Um, where you're at right now. Explain, you know, give us your your role, the title, where you're working right now. Sure. I'm a, technically a group vice president of international at Ascendant, and Ascendant is probably best known as it's Stephen Ross's little shop. So Stephen Ross uh, made uh, uh, 
quite a, a lot of money in the real estate business, decided to buy the Miami Dolphins, uh, has now grown that into kind of his own network. So he's got everything from PR firms to consulting firms to the International Champions Cup, the big soccer tournament that's, that's coming to the United States in the next couple of weeks. Um, so we are the consulting wing of Ross's sports enterprises. Cool. And we'll, like I said, we'll roll back clock a little bit right now to look at how you've ended up um, as a group vice president international. How about that? Doesn't that sound? I made that up too. Okay, good. It's five stars. I like that. <laughs> the um, rolling way back, where, where did you grow up? Where are you from? So I was born in Glasgow, Scotland, as you can definitely tell from mm-hmm. the very thick Scottish mm-hmm. accent. You're going to have to have subtitles right. underneath this. Um, <laughs> Moved to London, England, uh, spent 16 years in London, and did as everyone who lives in London says, you know what would be great? Detroit would be great. So I left London uh, as a 16-year-old, uh, kicking and screaming, uh, and went to public schools in Detroit, uh, college in Ohio. Um, I picked Miami University because it's in Oxford, Ohio, because I could tell all my friends I went to Oxford. <laughs> now, so hold on. Detroit. From London. Wait, uh, how did that happen? Dad's There's, job. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah, all it right. had nothing to do with that. Was he a, uh, in the auto business? No, he was in the computer business. Oh, but, really? But yeah, he was working for a firm that had a world headquarters in Detroit, and, and they, they brought him over. So, uh, so I, yeah, I, I will tell you that, uh, you know, I came over. I, I, I will also tell you, in all honesty, I wasn't the greatest student by any means <laughs> in the U.K. system. Um and so this was possibly the opportunity to go someplace where people didn't know that I wasn't the best student and kind of start all over again. So, uh, you know, Detroit public schools were actually good for me. Um, I had choice for one thing, right? Uh, you didn't, yeah. you know, it's not like biology, chemistry, physics, Greek, math, you know, et cetera. I could take, you know, social studies of the Civil War or something. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, uh, sure, I'll do that. So it was it was actually an awakening for me to come to the United States. Yeah. Did you uh, and were you in into sports? I mean, were you? You know, what's the tie that the thread through a lot of your basically your almost your entire career has been around sports right. marketing? Right. Is that what? What's the draw to that? Well, I was as a kid. Uh, like every kid that grows up in London, I was I was determined that part of the benefit of not being a good student was I didn't need to be a good student because <laughs> when Manchester United signed me for millions, uh, the educational part would be irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was a soccer fanatic. Um, I was marginal at best. Uh, I also played rugby. Uh, I was less than marginal at that at best. And I also played cricket. And I actually think I was probably a better cricketer than anything else. Hmm. Um, but there's not a lot of demand for that in Detroit. No. Um, so actually, soccer was uh, was a good part of my integration into the United States because I could get onto our high school soccer team, and people were like, "I don't understand a single word this guy says." Uh, but he seems to have a left foot, so you know, let's go with that. So, so did you? Uh, the accent did you? Did that kind of gradually fade away, or were you maybe even self conscious of it and worked to try to get rid of it? I don't think I actually ever sat down and said I got to get rid of this. Uh-huh. But it was embarrassing to be honest. Really, to have people kind of come right. up to you in the halls right as a teenager and, and go yeah. say something, and you go go away, and they go that's brilliant. 
Like, no, I don't think you're it's getting the funnier. essence of my message. It's always funnier with a British accent or a Scottish brogue. Yeah. Um, uh, so you went to Miami of Ohio. Yeah. Um, again, the just uh, you know, you love the the hills and the yeah. brick and ivy there, and I could play soccer there. Oh, okay. Um, so I played there for four years. Um, coach uh, Coach Katie, who is still there, believe it or not. Oh my gosh! Uh, is in the athletic department. He's not a coach anymore, but probably one of my biggest mentors. I, I talk to Coach on a regular basis. Uh, I learned an awful lot more about me than just soccer being at Miami. And, I, and, right. and I've told people that, you know, when I left, you know, five years after I left, um, I don't think I could name a professor that I had at Miami University, but I knew everything about Coach and, huh. and uh, you know, spoke when he was uh, indoctrinated into the Hall of Fame and uh, just uh, phenomenal, great influence on me. Yeah, because that's, I mean, you graduated there, if I've got it right, in... 80, 80 from Miami. Yeah. So yeah. 37 years yeah. later, that tie there. is still yeah. there with him. That That's an important influence and mentor for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, probably like a lot of people from uh, from around Ohio, that uh, the draw of Procter and Gamble and training and stuff like that. How did you end up? That's your first job. That was my first job. Coach helped me get the first job. Uh-huh. Uh, little aside, a story, he, he's said one day at practice, he said, I've, I've had uh, two gentlemen from Procter & Gamble come to see me in my office and uh, have said that there's a direct link, they believe, between being a good salesperson and being a leader in sports. So they're on campus looking for leaders. So I told them we don't have any. <laughs> uh-huh. And I went to coach after practice and I said, coach, you know, maybe I'm being presumptive, but I thought I was a leader, and I'd really like to work for for Procter and Gamble. And he said, "I already gave them your name, but I told them they couldn't contact you. You would have to contact them first. So, so as long as you that's made, a great lesson, as long right? As you made the ask, right? Exactly, huh? And so you did that for about four years and stayed in brand marketing too. I see that uh, another big company, Kraft Foods, for for another about four years. Yeah. Um, between those two things, what what kind of stuff did you learn? Were you gravitating towards Sports sponsorship events, marketing, or was it really fully engaged across all as, all um, channels of branding? Yeah, it was. It was everything about brand management fascinated me. Uh, you know, I literally thought, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Kraft, uh, great company, uh, and I thought at the time, you know, gosh, I'm, you know, twenty five, twenty six. I could see retiring here, right? Mm. I could I could see just keep going up this organization. I love what they're doing. Um, uh, you know, to me, being the brand manager of Parquet or Miracle Whip or something, wow, it didn't get any better <laughs> than that. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it was a great way to learn marketing. I mean, it was a great uh, continuing education, if you will. I mean, from Proctor, who's very, you know, very much into teaching, to Kellogg, to Kraft, I was getting this... You know, I was getting more than I deserved in in learning about all of the elements of the marketing mix. So, um, unbeknownst to me, because uh, sports wasn't on the radar at that time, uh, I was getting one heck of a background to go into sports. Yeah. So you, when were you doing? You you mentioned Kellogg getting your your MBA in marketing from Northwestern's Kellogg School. 
uh, in 86. So you were out of school for a little bit and did that. Were you working in Chicago then for craft or? No. So, it, so the, the, the sequence is Proctor for four years, uh, was what called unit sales manager in St. Louis. Um, Proctor kept sending these people from Cincinnati to kind of drive around with you. And they would tell you that, you know, you just keep stacking the boxes up. You know, we're, we're doing all the, all the smart thinking and building the brands and building demand and all that good stuff. And after about four years, I went to my boss and I said, you know, this is a great company. I'm just in the wrong spot. I, I want to be sitting in the passenger seat, you know, <laughs> talking about all the brand stuff instead of, instead of uh, you know, selling the cases. Uh, and he said, yeah, you're not going to be a brand manager because brand managers at Proctor have a master's degree. Uh, and I said, okay, then I quit. <laughs> um, so I did. Uh, I quit and went to Kellogg and got my master's degree. Um, thought about going back to Proctor. As I said, loved them. Craft yeah. uh, was just, it's where you went if you went to Northwestern. I mean, I think mm. like, you know, a, a ridiculous number of my graduating class ended up going to Craft. Mm. Uh, in retrospect, that's uh, it's kind of funny because we were all the same, uh, and that's actually a very limiting thing from a marketing standpoint right. to have everybody having graduated from Kellogg then goes to Kraft. We're all kind of thinking the same way, et cetera, yeah. uh, which was actually a limitation. But but yeah, I loved loved them both. Okay, and so was Kraft was here. Yep. Okay, and then here meaning Chicago, um, and then Clarion. Marketing communications. How'd that come about? Complete curveball, right? Mm. I mean, you know, as I said, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the rest of my career uh, pushing margarine on <laughs> unsuspecting housewives, um, and I get a call from a headhunter. Uh, one piece of information: Kraft had been purchased by Philip Morris, and the acquisition was stressful. Uh, you know, Philip Morris makes their money on cigarettes, makes their money on alcohol. Uh, you know, we thought we were trying to feed the world. A uh, little bit of conflict, a yeah. uh, little bit of confrontation there. Uh, and they lost quite a, few, quite a few folks. And I got a call from a headhunter and said, when are you leaving? And I said, I, I didn't know I was leaving. He said, yes, you are. You just haven't figured it out yet. Um, I've got something for you. Uh, I've got this sports marketing agency in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I said, yeah, that's probably one of the most absurd things I've ever heard in my entire life. Why would I move to Greenwich, Connecticut to join a sports marketing firm? And he said, just go meet with the guy. Um, so I did. And he said, I need brand managers. And I said, why do you need brand managers? And he said, uh, because uh, I'm on the property side as a consultant. Uh, you go to the NFL. The NFL has a meeting with Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola starts asking the NFL Tell me about your psychographics. Tell me about your demographics. How are you doing against the Hispanic marketplace? And this is, this is you know, now we're in nine, 1986, 1990 maybe. Um, and the NFL's answer to all of that was, I really don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I can get you four more Super Bowl tickets if you really need them. Um, so they said, you know, we are being bombarded by marketers who are asking us, what's our return on investment? And, you know, how are we going to use this to talk to our customers? And we're a shield and 32 teams that play football. What the heck are you talking about? Right. Uh, so we needed to be the go-between. Um, so this gentleman, um, Alex Neroth, was the founder of Clarion, uh, 
very smart, super smart guy on on kind of the brand side, and a guy named Rick Dudley, uh, who's now the global chair of Octagon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the catalyst behind putting Clarion together, and Rick Dudley was my first boss, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, wickedly smart guy who had worked at the NFL, worked at the NHL, worked at MLB, right. you know, now runs Octagon, uh, and to have that guy as your first mentor in sports uh, was pretty amazing. Uh, and that alumni team that, that they put together at Clarion uh, is now all over the place doing yeah. some amazing stuff. I mean, Ed Horn, who runs consulting for IMG, Andrew Jettleson, who who runs college for IMG, um, you know, Scotty Becker, old Dave Grant, all sorts of people who are yeah. now like you know well-known figures. So I'm really basically the weak link of the entire group, <laughs> but. But it was really, you know, you know at the time you're surrounded by a bunch of really smart people. You just don't know they're all going to be that successful, Mm -hmm. right? And you just kind of look back and go, wow, I was part of this alumni network that was at at the, you know, I hate to sound old, but, but, you know, at the kind of forefront of when sports marketing was starting to get a little bit more serious, right? I mean, I, I literally hit it right when the, the, the changeover came from sports marketing was run by ex-athletes who, you know, would sign autographs and, and get you around to golf with Jack Nicholas to, you know, this is a serious investment. We need to analyze this. I mean, we were right there at that apex right. and kind of on the bleeding edge of that. So when you set up a consultancy with a bunch of brand people, um, you end up with... Uh, you know, the NFL and the ATP Tour and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and all these great clients. Um, and you're doing brand marketing. You're just doing it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So um, it was, again, a phenomenal experience. Now, what, now t- t- tell us a little bit about, like, what would be the uh, that kind of work at that point with the leagues or the Speedway or whatever? They were your clients? Yep. And then what were you, were you helping to put together sponsorship packages, evaluation, yeah. helping sell them, helping produce that stuff. Like, tell us a little bit about... Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example of a, of a fun story. So we, we had been working with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for a while. Um, and um, uh, Tony George, who, who runs it, and, and Bill Donaldson, who was head of marketing, kind of called us in and said, uh, we just met with some guys uh, who have this thing called NASCAR. Um <laughs> And they're contemplating that NASCAR shouldn't be completely in the South anymore and that NASCAR might have an opportunity. And should we run a NASCAR race uh, in Indianapolis? So how would we go about evaluating that? And and I'll give you a little secret. Um, The evaluation was, I remember saying to Bill Donaldson, you own the facility, you have capacity for about 400,000 people, you use it one time a year, and you're asking me to do an analysis as to whether you should use it two times a year. <laughs> I could save you a lot of money. Bring the NASCAR guys in. Let's give it a try. All sorts of, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, how's Indianapolis going to feel about this? You know, and, uh, the, the reputation of NASCAR at that point was very Southern, oh, right, right? right? You know, all these people are going to come in in their mobile homes and, you know, that this is going to be awful. You know, is Indianapolis ready for this, et cetera? So, so we did all sorts of analysis. Uh, we, you know, we, we did some testing with the cars. Uh, really, we were partly testing the cars. We were partly testing the fans. 
Um, they didn't know it. Uh, we would go to concierges. We would go to cab drivers. We would say, what's it like? We'd go to restaurants. You know, how do you feel that, that you had these NASCAR fans coming in? Uh, and they said, wow, friendliest people, nicest people, bigger tippers than the Indy 500 folks. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a good <laughs> so, so it's like, so bring it, right? <laughs> so we, so having made the decision, you know, having, Tony had, having made the decision to, to do this, uh, how are we going to take this to market? So we put the sponsorship portfolio together. The original intent was, uh, as an example, we said, we don't want, we don't want a namer. Uh, we don't want naming rights. It's the Brickyard 400. Let's establish the Brickyard 400 as the brand, uh, just as you've got the Indy 500, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, right. you know, maybe later on it can be presented by, but but let's keep it uh, just as, as the brand itself. So we said we'll take five lead sponsors, mm-hmm. um, and we put together, at the time, something that made them very, very nervous. We, we had kind of a come-one-come-all meeting, where we said we're going to declare what the sponsorship costs. Hmm. Uh, it's a three-year deal, um, and we're going to lay it all out for you in front of everybody here. And the first five folks that say yes uh, get it, and it's that simple. And we had Castrol and Valvoline and Pennzoil in the room listening at the same time, looking at each other, going, are you going to do this? Am I going to do this? What if you do this and I made a mistake, right? And those five sponsors, gone in like a week. Uh, and and Indy was very you know very conservative organization yeah. and, and and we raised over twenty million dollars in basically a week and established the sponsorship portfolio. For I that. mean, it's one of those things to me that it sounds so simple. Why wasn't that being done before that? Uh, be, well, and the answer is pretty much because it wasn't done that way. But how did you on on the Clarion side then? How, how did you come up with that and and then? You know, thinking of it, stepping outside the box and think of that, and then be able to break that down to get a Tony George in that organization to go, okay, well, it hasn't been done that way. We're scared to death that it could blow up on us, but go ahead and do it anyway. Right. How, how did you? There was, yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally recall kind of like calming people down the night before, mm-hmm. right? You know, like, this is a mistake. What have we done? You know, oh my God, what if nobody shows up? You know, all that kind of stuff. We, we realized, we didn't want the naming rights. We probably needed that kind of money. Um, so how are we going to go do that without giving away the naming rights? And when you've when you've got a brand new brand, right, that needs to be marketed, let's let five people do the marketing for us rather than one, right? Mm-hmm. Let's have an oil company. Let's have an automotive sponsor. Let's have a beverage company doing the marketing for you. So if you can put together a cadre right off the bat yeah. that's got Coca-Cola and Anheuser-Busch and Chevrolet and, you know, you're, you're in great shape to establish year one, uh, wow, look at the marketing platform. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of five and the beauty of it moving so quickly was we had a sixth and a seventh, and we told them no, right? We had people who literally said, I can't believe you're turning me down. I moved mountains to get this approved in two weeks, and you're telling me that I'm too late. And another, you know, that's another great lesson is that, you know, 
the indie folks were like, well, let's just add a six. Let's just add a seventh. And we said, no, no, no. First of all, you do what you say you're going to do, right. right? You keep it to five. Second of all, guess what? You've already got people, you know, when it's renewal time, putting pressure on price, uh, putting pressure on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody says, listen, I don't think you've got anybody else, so, you know, I'm going to lowball you. Quite the opposite. I've got two people who've been waiting three years for this opportunity. Um, right. So, you know, we, I, th- I genuinely think we kind of set them up uh, quite nicely. Yeah. So that's a great story. The, the next step, I believe, was U.S. Olympic Committee, it was. right? It was. How did that come about? That was, so that was, um, you know, as I said, we were probably, I'd like to think, probably talking to ourselves, but I'd like to think we were on the forefront of kind of the brand management approach to properties. Uh, and the United States Olympic Committee uh, was looking for somebody that was uh, part business development, part sponsorship, part brand. Uh, and so I, I literally applied for that job. Uh, and uh, it was not a role that that they were comfortable with. It's not a mar- it, it wasn't a marketing organization, right? It's a sports organization, right? It's about giving kids the opportunity to, to you know, to live their dreams. But Atlanta had kind of woken them up to the whole marketing end of things. And if you recall, uh, the International Olympic Committee was not all that excited about the way Atlanta, the Atlanta Games were marketed. Uh, so I came in in, in uh, early 96, right before the Games, too late candidly to impact what was going on there, they had sold everything, to be honest. I mean, if you wanted to be the official shoelace of the Atlanta Games, it was available, and there was no pricing structure to it. Oh, really? And it was kind of, it was, I, I shouldn't, I, I don't mean to throw my friends under the bus. They, they did a great job of putting it all together, but, but you know, I think, I, I think they would admit if they had it to do all over again, they, right. would, they would structure it a little bit differently. Well, they gave, you had the freedom, and it's probably what exactly what they needed to be take that step back, right? right? And then say, kind of like you did with IMS people, like, well, this is the plan. This is, this is what's good pricing. We know this works within the market. And let's not be 25 different right. people within subcategories within automotive. Oh, there's one automotive, and, there's that, and then you can charge more pricing because there's less clutter and all those kinds of things. Um, so what, like, when you were on board and, and, and seeing this, what were the first things that you did to pivot? Well, so we were we while I was there, obviously to help with with Atlanta, and and again, I don't I don't mean to to, to right. speak badly of of those guys did a did a great job, um, and and would gladly tell you that I had very little impact on them, <laughs> and I'm more than happy to admit that. Um, but Salt Lake was right around the corner, mm-hmm. uh, so we were about to go do this again. So the premise from the USOC standpoint was okay, if 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 we're not if we don't think Atlanta was perfect from a sponsorship standpoint, we now have a clean slate, right? We can say, aha, we, we've learned this, you know, as you said, fewer is better, you know, get the big guys first, et cetera. So, so we had the time to kind of take that step back and, and put that in place. So as an example, prior to uh, the Atlanta Games, the United States Olympic Committee didn't have an account management structure because mm-hmm. they didn't need See, it. And that's part of like your point, like, this wasn't because everything was in place and they did it wrong. I think that's important to know. Like right. you were able to come in and okay, we need to do this a little bit yeah. differently. If if 
if Coca-Cola called the United States Olympic Committee to ask them something, they would either call directly to the person that they knew within the organization, someone like myself, or the switchboard, right? Oh, there was no, I mean, I got, I literally got calls from people in the switchboard saying, hi, I have, you know, uh, I have the senior vice president of Coca-Cola on the line and he's got a question and I didn't know how to answer it. And I was like, why are you even taking that call? Why is that call going to you? <laughs> well, because, you know, your, your voicemail rang through and he wanted to talk to somebody. So, so we, we, I literally created a, a, an account management structure, uh, and, and, you know, it, Clearly not brain surgery, right? Everybody now has this. This is it would sound trite to even say it, but there was actually somebody on a daily basis that was looking after Visa's best interests. Um, was that a little bit uh, into the weeds? But was that a were was there manpower in existence? It just needed to be restructured, or no. did you then have to go to the hire to your boss and say? I need three yeah. people to go do this. I, yeah. And here's the case why, but right. I need, okay. So it was, that part was from totally from scratch. It yeah. wasn't just kind of... If you, at, at that point, the United States Olympic Committee had a, had a board of directors that was uh, over 130 people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a real mess. Um, and, and McKinsey came in and cleaned that up, and now they have a board structure that, that's, that's much more normal. But you would, you would we were an expense, and the, and the, and it's a nonprofit organization, right? So so part of the part of the the lexicon that we would say is, you know, eighty three cents of every dollar goes directly to athlete support. So administrative expenses like marketing and sponsorships, um, you know, were almost frowned upon from a standpoint that, you know, you just keep adding expense. Right, um, so I, I literally had to go to the board. I'll, I'll give I'll give you an aside. We we had no market research. Um, I, I hired a guy uh, named Doug Hall, um, great great guy who's at who's at Epic now, um, and we we called him the the research academy for the United States Olympic <laughs> Committee. Um, so you know I'd say I don't know I have to check with the check with our research department, uh, and it was Doug. Um, and we put together a a you know a research study that basically said, and I'll give you the I'll give you the premise really simple. First day I was there, I got everybody together and I said, okay, who is our consumer? Everybody. I need a little bit more than yeah, that, right. right? You know, who is our consumer? Sports fans. Oh, they're sports fans, are they? Okay. What's the number one most watched television event in the Olympic Games? Opening ceremonies. How many sports are in opening ceremonies? None. Well, they're sports fans, but they love pageantry. Like, got it. That's okay. And are they nationalistic from a standpoint of, you know, support Team USA? So the net was nobody knew who the heck we were talking to, right? We were totally dependent upon NBC to tell her what our brand is, right? We had no brand campaign. We had no, no, couldn't buy licensed merchandise with the USOC brand on it. There was no Team USA, as you know now. That didn't exist. Oh, that, that oh no, that's, yeah, that's, that's new. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, so NBC controlled our message, mm-hmm. uh, and they knew who they were talking to. We just didn't know who we were talking to, and I, I had to go in front of the board and say, listen, this is a problem 
You know, when, when we get into a meeting with Visa and Visa is telling us who our target audience is and they have more information about who it is that we represent than we do, that's a problem. Um, so I need this money for bodies and I need this money for research. And, you know, the, the responses that you get from a board that, that's made up of sports people is, do you realize how many canoes I could buy with the money that you're about to go spend, you know, on research? Do you realize how many young kids I could put through a junior program that could be future Olympians that you're just going to go waste on research, et cetera? Right. And that's the way they looked at it was that Absolutely. it was waste. Absolutely. Not that it was going to turn a dollar into $10. It was just a dollar that's gone. Yeah. And the, and the meeting was basically I said, okay, what if I cut your budgets in half? How do you feel? And they said, what do you mean? I said, what if Visa goes away? What if we lose Home Depot? What if we lose McDonald's? Then you, you don't have two canoes to rub together, right? <laughs> so you need to trust that if we invest in our brand, uh, we can grow the pie. Um, and Salt Lake is a great opportunity for us to get more brands involved with the Olympic movement uh, in a strategic way, and we'll generate more money, and you'll go and buy more canoes. Um, but that was, you know, that wasn't the way the organization was was oriented. Um, you know, well, that right. But you had experience. That was IMS was like dealing right. with that as well. And right. Yeah. That's that's a. We've got a, th a theme, a thread running through here. Exactly. Reimagination. So why did you leave USOC? It sounds like, you know, you had things, you got got things really rolling in the right direction. And and uh, another one I could have met, you've talked about, oh, I, I could see myself staying here for a long time. And you, you did stay for about, what, five, five. years? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think the turning, a couple turning points for me. Um, one is I, I lost a boss that was uh, mentoring me. Um, um, I lost the boss in the middle of what was what is now referred to as the Salt Lake scandal. Um, so we were we were so ahead of our numbers as far as getting sponsors until about 1999. Uh, and then all this stuff started coming up about bribery, et cetera, mm -hmm. and the well just went really dry. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I won't name the company, but, um, but I had about a $35 million deal in my hand, uh, and the young lady that was the CMO for this corporation called me up literally days before the signing, uh, crying. And I said, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, I just, I just went to our chairman, and he mm -hmm. said, we can't be associated with this brand. This brand is tainted. Uh, you know, look at the cover of USA Today. There are literally pictures from the Salt Lake Organizing Committee with, you know, in handcuffs, you know, being let out the door. I said, but that's got nothing to do with Team USA. That's got nothing to do with what we're trying to do. You know, I, we're using that money to, to build athletes' dreams. That's not going to change. Um, mm. But it, it got nasty. Um, and I think I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm probably too conservative about the power of reputation um, that when people start to look at you cross-eyed, like, I don't know if I can trust you anymore, uh -huh. and you're working for a non-for-profit for, for peanuts in the grand scheme of things, uh -huh. right? I've given away my clarion job, which yeah. generated, you know, 
significant revenue for me to take a nonprofit job at a significant discount because I thought that was the right thing to do. And people are starting to look at me like, you know, I'm, I'm hiding something or <laughs> cheating them or something. I, I, it just kind of tore me up. Yeah. Uh, and, and I said, you know, I think, sadly, I think we got to go. Um, the other, the other thing I will say, um, you know, Mitt Romney had come in after the cleanup, um, and there is definitely a, a pendulum. Without getting too into the weeds, there's a pendulum of where the USOC can be most helpful in putting a games together, and then when an organizing committee needs to take control. And it was at that point, it was like, you know what? I've got an office in Salt Lake, but you guys really should be running this. I, I'm, I can see myself being a hindrance to you, mm. right? We are, we're getting in conflicts about things. At some point, it's your games. You own that brand. You should tell me to go away. Mm. Uh, so I beat them to it. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go away. Um, you know, I think Salt Lake's in good shape now. I think the games are going to be wonderful. Um, so I, I uh, my wife had, I had moved my wife to Connecticut from Chicago, uh, you know, not knowing a soul uh, to go to go work for for Clarion, I had moved her to Colorado Springs, not knowing a soul, so that I could work at the United States Olympic Committee. I said, "Okay, you get to pick one, right?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we came back to Chicago, and I and I set up my own shop, uh, Victory Sports Marketing. And so, right. Uh, and a lot of what you did with that, I mean, that was, um, I mean, you're still doing a lot of the same stuff now, part of Ascendant, right? Yep. We can talk about that in a minute. But you stayed very heavily involved around Olympic or Olympic sponsors, very right? So. Like very what kind so. of stuff over that 15-plus year period of time, what kind of things were you doing as you know, a few examples of the, the work and things you were learning, things you were pushing boundaries on even, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it was great to be on the other side, right? It was great to to actually say... I think there are companies out here that that really would benefit from Olympic sponsorships, and the, and the the presumption by a lot of people is those things are really really expensive. Um, I don't think they are, uh, and I would contend right now that a USOC sponsorship relative to a sponsorship of the NHL or MLS or whatever, I think it's a bargain. Um, I'm biased that way, obviously, but but I do I I don't think it's a price sensitivity issue. Um, so there are lots of companies out there that don't even consider it because they think it's beyond their reach. Hmm. Um, so USG is an example, United States Gypsum here in Chicago. Um, what a great opportunity to, for them to to get involved in in the Olympic movement and and really use it as a motivator for their employees and and you know account engagement, etc. And probably would not have been on their radar uh, as something that they that they wanted to do. Hmm. The the other the other wild card in all of this is Chicago 2016. Right. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of like, well, the good news is I've got this great Rolodex and all these great friends within the Olympic movement. Uh, the even better news is I can actually go a little bit wider and try some other things. And I'm here about two years, and a dear friend of mine uh, sits me down and says, "I think I need your help." Um, we literally we laugh about it. We literally went to a cozy restaurant, and he sat with me and he said, "I want to bring the Olympic Games to Chicago." And I said, "That's probably the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my entire life. What on earth makes you think that's a good idea?" 
and he said, no, no, you're going you're gonna to help me. So um, uh, Mark Mitten and I sat and wrote a, a small business plan for Chicago 2016 uh, back in, gosh, had to be 205. Um, yeah. And then realized, of course, we were writing for ourselves because we had no client. <laughs> we had no, no strategy. We just had a business plan. So... Uh, so we needed to get that business plan out. So um, the, the long and short story of, of Chicago 2016 is, is we, we got to go present to a mutual friend at World Business Chicago and presented to him our business plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the meeting, while we're there, he said, hold on a second, and he leant over to his computer and he typed a little message. Uh, and he said, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt, keep going. Um, and... You know, he, we, we talked a little bit more, and, and the, the approach we were taking is this would be good for the business community. Uh, you know, this will, this will stimulate Chicago. Uh, this will get some things done that we need to get done anyway. Uh, you know, that's, that's what tends to work from an infrastructure standpoint, mm-hmm. right? You, you finally get the light rail system that you've always wanted, um, things like that. So this will be good for recruiting. This will be good for business. Um, and he got a little ping while, while we were in his office, and he said, would you mind going over to City Hall? Um, (laughs) The mayor's chief of staff would like to see the presentation that you've just given me. Uh, So the first day that we, that anybody other than Mark and I saw the business plan for 2016, World Business Chicago and the mayor uh, saw the document, uh, and uh, the mayor's chief of staff took it uh, said, do you mind if I take it to the mayor? And we said, well, that's kind of the <laughs> <That's> point. right. <laughs> <laughs> I Mer- hope so. <laughs> without Mayor Daly, we're kind of like swimming up upstream. Um, and, you know, I, the, the long story short is, is, that, uh, is that the mayor said, okay, what do you, what do you need to make this happen? Uh, we created a Skunks Works. Uh, we weren't allowed to tell anybody we were mm-hmm. doing this. We had a, an office in McKinsey that we, that we literally uh, taped the window shut um, we each had keys. Uh, we went from two of us to six of us. Uh, we had a liaison with the mayor's office who would come in and ask, "What do you need? Where are you going? Hmm. You know, don't don't tell this person yeah. or this person yet." Right? It was very much under the radar. We flushed out the business plan. Uh, he would shuttle it back to the mayor. Uh, the mayor would have comments and shuttle it back to us. Um, and eventually, we kind of said, "You know." The great thing about having the Olympics in Chicago is eventually you have to tell somebody that you're going to have the Olympics in Chicago. And we're at that point. We probably need to have the United States Olympic Committee involved in this. Uh, and candidly, I, I, I think I could speak safely for the, for the six of us. Um, we're probably not the right team to lead this. Uh, you know, we can take this so far, but but we probably need somebody of a little higher stature to to manage this. And and uh, the mayor was phenomenal in getting us Pat Ryan. Yeah, right. Uh, and and Pat really took a discipline to this and and an approach to this and and brought in others that w- that we couldn't have have even contemplated bringing in. Right. Um, and you know, and obviously was a was a phenomenal conduit to to the business community of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, before you know it, you kind of wake up and you're like, "Wow, we have a board of directors to die for." Yeah, it was. Um, and uh, you know, and and I, w- I won't say all the money you could ever want because that would be that would be a misrepresentation. But but um, you know, we never felt like uh, shoot, we wish we could do this. It was like, let's do this. 
Um, so that was a phenomenal experience. Yeah. Uh, when you first, that, out of curiosity, when you first put that plan together with the business plan, initial one to go to uh, WBC and the mayor's office in the same day eventually, uh, what what a, how, you know how how big of a document was that was that <laughs> ten pages a hundred pages you know like yeah. how much info and how many real hard numbers I always you know because I'm somebody that gets hung up on that that I think it always needs more and it always needs right. to be rehearsed it always needs to be deeper but uh, you know how, how much do, when you felt like it was okay it's time that we could show this to world business for example how much was in there I would say the first document was about twelve to fifteen pages hmm. that was it. Um, you know, it. Th- we needed to have people agree on the concept. Yeah, right. Right. You know, we we weren't saying here's what it's going to cost to retrofit the United Center yeah. for gymnastics, right? I mean, that that, that not level, that you that, were not in those weeds, but yeah, but, but there was some. Not, here's numbers. Yeah, there was a P&L, Here's where right. right. And the, here's what it would take to get this up and running as an organization in the first place. Here's the projected numbers. Yeah. yeah. And there were and there were some scary things. I mean, you know, we we unfortunately when when Soldier Field was retrofitted, you can't put a track in Soldier Field. Oh, right. Uh, which was a big disappointment for us because mm-hmm. that meant now we didn't have a track and field. Um, you know, we we didn't really have the opening ceremonies. Uh, you know, those are kind of big deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, swimming was another issue, right? We don't really have a, a great fifty meter pool uh, in in the city. So there was some, we didn't have an Olympic village. Uh, you know, there was definitely some brick and mortar that, that was going to go with this. Um, but we're also blessed with some pretty amazing existing structures and also the concept of, you know, the lake, you know, oh, green, right. the city. I mean, it, 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 I would contend that, that very few cities sit up as nicely as potential Olympic sites as Chicago does. I'll still hold to that. No, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're both a little biased. Yeah, we're a lot being biased. here, but yeah. I mean, I, I I was on the periphery of working on a few little things, um, a fraction fraction of anything. Certainly, you were involved in, and most you know most others were were much deeper. But the the everything the the documents and the planning and the the visuals and and the thought that went through it. I mean, it was just. I mean, I can't imagine. I was devastated as we're. You know, so many people. I just, uh, how long did it take you to get out of the funk of that? I mean, really, because was because flatly to to me. I mean, again, I'm biased uh, as as a you are, but I'm sure looking at it like there's no way we don't get this. We stack up so well against everybody. We've the, it's the right time and the rotation, all those things. That the way that the, the the thing broke. Yeah, you you have to you have to go into it with a with a certain mindset. Um, uh, I, I always love, uh, you know, uh, Wally Hayward, who I'm sure you know well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember having a conversation with him once and him asking me, what was plan B? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, what happens if this doesn't work? And I kind of said, holy crud, we, we need a plan B. I, <laughs> <laughs> he goes, well, aren't you going to be kind of unemployed? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll address that. Uh, you know, at, when the time comes. I mean, you just kind of, I, I put out all my eggs in this basket. Yeah. It was just, it was the way to do it. Well. Uh, it was the way to do it right. Uh, and I went to Copenhagen. Um, I, I did make a slight shift. I, I uh, worked for the, uh, for the organizing committee or for the Bid City uh, for quite a bit of time. I then uh, made the decision that I could help corporations figure out how to engage with this, and so I went to the other side and, and got 
uh, Deloitte, Molex, Abbott, Aon, folks like that involved on the other side. Um, so that candidly, when we won, not if we won, when yeah. we won, uh, we would have all these major corporations in Chicago ready to, to rock and roll, and, and we'd be so far ahead of the game. Um, so I went to Copenhagen thinking, wow, if, if we do this, I as a sole proprietor will have six, seven, eight corporate clients for the next seven years uh, who will all need agency support. Right. Uh, you know, move over Leo Burnett. You know, here comes Victory Sports Marketing, you know, <laughs> soon to be the biggest agency in the city. Um, so that dream kind of uh, kept me going and yeah. kept me motivated. And, and uh, gosh, I just fell that one part short of living that dream uh, that we got crushed um, by the IOC. So... Um, there's a lot that goes into the bid, and if we had a four-hour pod, I could I could yeah. explain the, the intricacies of all of that. Um, the net was I, no bitterness, no good for Rio. Um, their presentation, I will tell you, was spectacular. Okay, um, you know, I I, uh, I remember turning to Mark after watching them present in Copenhagen, and said, "Yeah, I think we're in real trouble here." Really, I, I think they make a really compelling case. Um, uh, so I wasn't surprised, I guess. Uh, surprised we came in last. Yeah. That was yeah, a shocker. That, is, that, is, uh, that especially, yes. That was yes. like, you know, not only am I going to push you down, I'm going to kick you. Yeah. Um, and that was unfortunate. Uh, cried like a baby. Oh, yeah, um, I can imagine. You know, that, that uh, did not go over well. Um, <laughs> uh, I do, I, I will tell you, I'll give you a perfect example um, of, uh, of, you know, one of the one of the great things that came out of that was so I had been doing some preliminary work with uh, um, with Deloitte and some of the Deloitte folks were over in Copenhagen um, and uh, um, it was Deloitte who it, w it was a couple of folks from Deloitte who literally picked me up off the floor <laughs> after the vote and said what are you doing tonight. And I said, what am I doing tonight? I mean, I'm free for the rest of my life, apparently. <laughs> I don't even know if I have a flight home. Um, uh, and they said, well, we're going to dinner. Uh, we're going to drink a lot. Uh, we're going to probably swear and uh, you know, get it all out of our system. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to figure out, okay, now what do we do? Uh, and coming out of literally coming out of that dinner... Um, I ended up getting an assignment with Deloitte hmm. to help them with the United States Olympic Committee project, which I've, I'm now in my, what, eighth year yeah. of working with them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the crazy, the, I, I don't know if you can write this in granite, but, you know, the learning about putting all my eggs in a basket and going for it and saying I'm going to commit to this and I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, literally didn't even get to tomorrow. Right that yeah. night, I was reengaged hmm. and back, and and that is, you'd like to think that you know that's amazing luck. I mean, that's all that is. Yeah. Uh, but wow, uh, you know. So so if I uh, you know if I wax poetic about Deloitte on uh, on certain occasions <laughs> and when I travel around to universities, etc., um, they really picked me up off the ground and and yeah, uh, literally supported me and and just an amazing amazing firm. Uh, so the, you know, then, so, so since that was 07, you, you spent the next eight plus years, you were still doing victory sports yep. and Olympics. And were you, you doing 
other sports marketing. We haven't even really talked about that, but it was it was it exclusively Olympics related, or were you no, doing other stuff too? I, so I mean, Victory's had some some other fun clients. I mean, we you know I did some work with Manchester United mm-hmm. uh, when they were coming over to the. United and was that States. your club? When you were no, a kid, uh-huh. no, I, I'm. Uh, you mentioned that that's who you're going to go play for for yes. millions, but that's just because they were the big that, boys. Exactly. No, I I, I uh, have a much smaller club. So um, <laughs> on, on my wall behind you are, are uh, the folks that that interest me. But Fulham, uh-huh. uh, Fulham is my club. So there it is. Um, they are they are not the giants uh, of the Premier League, and sadly, not even in the Premier League anymore. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but no, those those uh, those are the folks I bleed for. So uh, well, there is an Eng- an England country a, kit and a Man a, U kit up there too. Yep, yep, and Chelsea. And that's I was going to say, is that yeah. Chelsea over there? Yeah. Anyway, so Man U and some other projects. National and, Thoroughbred Racing Association, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great assignment. Um, um, you know, it, and a very interesting group who had kind of lost their way a little bit on the sponsorship world and, and was able to kind of take some of that clarion discipline hmm. uh, and figure out how to get people excited about, about racing at a time when racing was challenged a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, a, a few things. I mean, as a sole proprietor, you're, you're somewhat limited by what you can take on and you got to be careful about your bandwidth. Right. Uh, but USG obviously came in as, as part of that and, and uh, got the opportunity to work with their senior leadership team on on a complete rebrand that they were doing as a company that was uh, that the Olympics was a big part of. Uh, great assignment. And, and, and great as that was rolling out, so it wasn't just, hey, here's our rebrand, how do we apply this to the Olympics? No, it but was integrated. The Olymp- right, so yeah. then it was that much more impactful on both ends, yeah, right? absolutely. All right, so we're getting short on time. You've got some other stuff you've got to go do this afternoon. So the Ascendant piece, uh, basically you folded in, uh, they... They've added you to the organization, and are you managing a group of people, or are you still more operating as the sole proprietor and bring either bringing business in, maintaining current clients, helping the rest of the organization in either pitching or building programs? How, what, what do you do these days? A little bit of both. Um, you know, one of, one of the key motivators for for Ascendant was, um, you know, there's only so much you can do as a sole proprietor, and candidly, there's only so many people who would entrust. Uh, you know, a, a major sponsorship to you. I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate that that you know, two major United States Olympic Committee sponsors mm-hmm. would go with a sole proprietor over you know the the more common way of going with a with a mega firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that was limiting what I what I could do with them, and it was also limiting who I could go after. So I was looking for kind of a bigger toolbox, mm. uh, and and knew some of the folks at Ascendant, and and we actually ha- I actually had a big pitch that I that I wanted to go chase, and I realized that as a sole proprietor it was going to be a non-starter. So so the conversations really started with how do we work together. Uh, and the more we spoke, it, it kind of learned into yeah. well, why don't we just make this permanent? Well, that makes but that makes sense then versus you sitting going, well, who's gonna who am I gonna go board with as a, as an employee versus who would I want to work with? Right. That I mean, that's much better for fit and all those things, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Well, that's great. Now I know uh, again, short on time, and so I, I I won't make you sing the like the Fulham. Um, <laughs> team chant song or something like that. But you do speak to a lot of college students or grad students and things like that out there. I love that, that you're you know, kind of giving back and sharing some advice and stories. What's the most common piece of advice or, or maybe even better, what's the most common kind of question you get 
that uh, you know seems to ring true with people that are finishing up school right now. Sure, I, I mean I think there's a I think there's a couple things going on. One is there's still that how on earth do I break into this, mm-hmm. right? You know, this looks like kind of a closed-walled club. Uh, and, you know, once you're in it, it's great, but, you know, how do I get in it? Um, and I think that's probably the toughest one to answer because I think we, we, as we've gone through my background, it's not linear, uh, you know, and I didn't start out with, oh, I'm going to be a sports right. marketing person and here's how I go about it. You know, there was... When I went to college, there was no such thing as a sports marketing degree that was right. unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that wasn't an option. Um, so, I think that the you know my counsel to a lot of folks is, don't worry about the nameplate uh, that you're going to go work for. Mm-hmm. Worry about what it is you're going to get a chance to do. Right. So, you know, everyone's like, gosh, you know, I know you know the people at the Bulls. Could you introduce me to the Bulls? And it's like, no, that's that's a bad idea. Uh, nothing, no disrespect to the no, Bulls. No, no, I love right. the Bulls. Right. But, you know, you are not going to come out of college and be the director of marketing for the Chicago Bulls. I just hate to break it to you, but it's not going to happen. Um, but if you get the opportunity to do, a, you know, a sales position for somebody like that or, you know, work for a minor league baseball team, something where you actually are going to learn what's going on and, and be part of a team that, that's going to get it done go do it, mm-hmm. right? You know, jump in. So so my perspective on how do I break in is candidly be willing to do just about anything. Well, and I think it's taking that approach, like you said, of not being too siloed or having blinders on, but we were talking about a, a P&G or something kind of company, like, well, hey, what can I learn from them? What can What's going to help me get smarter, get ahead, and I look for opportunities either within that organization or then somewhere else to apply that to something more specific that I like, like sports marketing exactly. or doing events or whatever, exactly. and you've now got this great background of, of, of stuff you've learned about yourself and operating in the business world. So... Anything else? Yeah, any the, other words, any other nuggets you got for us, Gordon? I, I mean, this this one may be a little counterintuitive, considering I spend most of my time doing strategic planning for corporations. Um, I don't have a plan. <laughs> Come on, don't admit that. <laughs> no, and I, no and, I, and I think that's a positive. Uh-huh. I don't have a plan, right? I did not plan to go to Clarion. Right. I did not plan to go to the United States Olympic Committee. I did not plan to open my own shop. I did not plan to get Deloitte. Right. I did not plan to join Ascendant. Um, I think, as you said, you kind of take the skills that you've got, keep your eyes wide open, and when the next thing kind of comes along, you you are in a position to say, okay, I can evaluate this completely openly. Does Now, granted, if, if your goal is to be the commissioner of the NFL, then you probably need a track to be the commissioner yes, of the NFL right. was never my goal, right? My, my goal was to, candidly, I, I work in a field that I love and I enjoy and I get to work with really smart people. Uh, wow, you know, let's just do more of that. Uh, that's about as deep as my planning got. Uh, and I'm open, my eyes are always open, right? So, so I, I, you know, I, I don't want people to get too concerned about by the by the time I'm 26, I need to be doing this. And right. by the time I'm 28, I need to be doing this. For me personally, that doesn't work, right? right. I would have turned down probably, I would have turned around right. away some of the biggest opportunities of my life because I would have said, well, that wasn't in my plan. Um, so from that standpoint, I think flexibility is a good thing. 
That's great advice. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Gordon. I've really enjoyed the chat, and I hope everybody uh, listening has as well. Thanks for being part of the Painless Podcast. No worries. My pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it, Gordon Kane, top-notch human being. One more shout-out real quick. Uncork Bottles and Barrels coming tomorrow, Thursday, July 13th, to Westfield Old Orchard in beautiful Skokie, Illinois, from 5 to 8 o'clock. Sample great whiskeys, wines, and food. Proceeds are benefiting the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Tickets and info, www.westfieldoldorchardunncorked.eventbrite.com. And, hey, if you've listened to this point, I think maybe you'd like to subscribe. So go do it. And rate the Painless Podcast as well as check out any of the previous 20 terrific guests that we've had so far. Finally, any more guest suggestions? I get them all the time. I love it. It's helped me find a few of the guests already. Get me those suggestions, feedback, or sponsor inquiries by emailing painlesspod at painless.network. All right. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, it's Chris Hartwig saying, stay connected, friends.